You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. This is Jason Witter, author, illustrator of Tiniest Vampire and Monsters Eating Ice Cream, and you are listening to Aaron's Horror Show. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm your host, Aaron Frail. On Aaron's Horror Show, we're going to go ahead and read some horror fiction and talk about horror in all its forms, books, movies, you name it. If you want to go ahead and get a hold of the show, you can go ahead and contact Aaron's Horror Show at Gmail or Aaron Horror Show on Twitter or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. Uh, I want to go ahead and let you know that I am having some family issues going on, so I probably won't be doing much podcasting in June. Uh, But I do want to try and maybe read some fiction at that point in time. I'm probably going to cancel the movie review part of this podcast and and maybe review, maybe maybe do some some reading some of my stories uh, for you if I have time to do it. But uh, I don't know if I will have time at all. So I I, I might see you here uh, again in July. I I might be able to toss some stories your way. Uh, you know if I have a, a a break from the family stuff that's going on. Uh, you know, but. Uh, uh, th- thank you so much for your support. You know, thank you. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not talking uh, uh much about it. I I don't feel quite comfortable talking about family stuff that's going on. Uh, you know, in in a public forum like this. So, you know, thank you so much for your support, and uh, I really appreciate everything. Uh, yeah, so, uh, with that, I, I just want to go ahead and, and get right to the, the, the movie review. So let, let's go with the movie review. So, uh, Cargo. Cargo is the movie that I watched this week, and oh my god, that was freaking amazing. Like, I loved Cargo. I, I thought, like, like, since I've been doing this podcast, I've been looking for a movie that really terrifies me, that really, like, gets me right down to the core and and cargo is it so cargo is a movie that's on netflix right now it's australian and uh it stars the uh gentleman that plays bilbo baggins in the hobbit movies that came out uh he also of course played watson in the pbs uh sherlock uh uh miniseries that that came out so so yeah very good acting talent and and good movie and you know, uh, if you want to know what terrifies me, well, this is the movie that does it. So, uh, this movie is terrifying in a couple ways. First off, it's the most accurate 
depiction of a zombie apocalypse that I could ever see. Whoa, 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 what are you saying? Accurate? Well, how can a zombie apocalypse be accurate? It's a, it's fiction. Well, when I say accurate, I, I'm saying plausible, really. Uh, you know, we, we look at movies like, for example, World War Z, where, where the, the, the zombie virus affects people really quickly. So there's this scene where Brad Pitt counts down from 10, 10, 9, 8, and so on and so forth, and the zombie gets, you know, turned. So this person dies, and within 10 seconds, they are up and walking as a zombie. That's not really accurate to how viruses and infections work. In fact, if you look at, you know, real viruses and real infections, most of them don't show up for two to three days after you get it. So if I get a cold, two to three days later is when I show the symptoms. Uh, same thing with flu. I get the flu, two to three days later I got the flu symptoms. Uh, you know, so in this movie it takes 48 hours from getting bitten to being turned into a zombie and that's where kind of the amazingness of this uh oh oh by the way b before i i talk about the amazingness of this movie uh i want to let you know that i've i've read a lot about this and and the most uh plausible virus for a uh zombie apocalypse is rabies uh Rabies is, of course, that virus that affects animals and they froth at the mouth and bite people. And basically, rabies, when you're infected by it, turns on the aggression in your in, in your body. So you get really aggressive and, and you bite people and that transmits the virus to the next person. Uh, so, so rabies is probably the most likely virus that would cause the zombie apocalypse. However... There's one big problem with rabies and the zombie apocalypse. It takes about a month from when someone gets infected by rabies to actually show the symptoms of rabies. So literally that virus is so slow at infecting people that you could get infected by rabies and not really show any symptoms till a month later. Uh, so it doesn't really work for zombie fiction, right? Because if you know, a patient gets infected by rabies, well, they got a month to contain the zombie outbreak, as opposed to, you know, the 10-second zombie, which, you know, zombie bites human, human turns into zombie, two zombies now, two zombies bite two humans, and now you uh, have four zombies, and then you know, you got four zombies that turn into eight zombies, and eight zombies that turn into 16, and so on and so forth, and you got a scary post-apocalyptic outbreak, right? Uh, so anyways, uh, that's that's why they always quicken the virus in the zombie movies. That's why, you know, whatever these uh, zombie viruses are, they're always super, super quick, like quicker than any known virus ever on the planet. Uh, so, uh, with this... Being said, Cargo decided to go the other route and decided to say, hey, let's make it realistic and let's have a zombie virus that affects people within 48 hours. And why is this really interesting? Because the main character, the uh, Martin Freeman from uh, The Hobbit slash uh, 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 Sherlock, he gets infected with the virus very early on. And he 
He has about a one-year-old kid. And so the whole movie is he has 48 hours to live and he has to find a place where his kid can live and thrive. And that's why this movie is really terrifying to me because I have a one-year-old kid myself and I'm, you know, like if I were in that situation, I have only 48 hours to live in this weird post-apocalyptic world and I needed to find a place for my kid. That would be the most terrifying ordeal of my life. I mean, it's crazy how much that movie affected me. And I, I, I think it boils down to, uh, you know, really where you are in life. Like, if you have kids, you might look at this movie and go, oh my god, that is terrifying. How could I really find a place for my kid? If you don't have kids, you you just might not understand. I mean, I know a lot of people will say, like, you know, my my dog, uh, you know, they're kind of like a kid to me, right? But honestly, I, I used to say that, but uh, you know, I had a dog, but now that I have a kid, I'm like, no, no, kids are nowhere near like a dog. Like, anyone who has kids, they totally know what I'm talking about. They are not the same as a dog. Like, that's totally a different thing. So, yeah, it's not really, you know, as much as, like, a, a dog owner would like to say, like, I'm a parent of this dog. No, no, no. You are an owner of that dog, or you're a friend to that dog, or you're a companion to that dog, but you're a parent to your child. So uh, I will I will happily say that, and that's why that movie is terrifying to me. That's why Cargo really struck me, because it is about a parent trying to find a home for his child. So yeah, <laughs> it's free on Netflix. Go watch it if you're a parent. Uh, be prepared to be on pins and needles the entire time. You're going to be like, oh, don't hurt the child. And luckily enough, uh, spoiler alert here, it, it, it turns out okay in the end. So yeah, yeah, the kid eventually gets his place, you know, eventually finds uh, where, you know, the, the, the best place for her is and it's wonderful, but uh, it's it's a journey. So yeah, go see the movie. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and read some more tuners here. I or not not tuner, sorry, Orion. And uh, I want to go ahead and let you know that I did not complete this chapter of Orion, so I'm gonna have to go ahead and complete it on a later time. Uh, but yeah, it's the continuation of the chapter of Orion that I did last week. And then I will finish the chapter on a future episode. All right. Thank you. Life 2 Continued From Orion The next morning, I woke to my father's red, fat face poking through the attic floor. He never climbed the ladder, which was particularly why I decided to sleep up there. The fact that he was here now didn't bode well. I was hoping to get the morning chores done and then make my way to the capital. Instead, I noticed that both my wrists were tied in the support beams. If you think you're going to impress this family in front of the whole kingdom, think again, boy, he said. But Dad. I said. 
The captain of the guard will burn this farm down if I don't show up. Then you best not be here when it burns, boy. He huffed and scrambled down the ladder. I heard him kick a few objects and knock over the family cauldron before storming out of the house. I wish I could say that was the end of my second life. Trust me when I say being burnt alive was better than what happened next. However, at the time, I had my best motivator on the planet, a gorgeous princess. So instead of my morning chores, I rubbed my skin raw, struggling to break free of my bonds. There was a particularly sharp edge on the beam where my right hand was bound. I rubbed the rope back and forth, fraying until I eventually escaped. Once my hand was free, I untied the other one. I poked my head out from the attic and noticed my father had smashed the ladder in his rage. It wasn't too far of a jump. However, my dad was already returned for his morning nap. That is to say, he drank too much at breakfast and passed out. He was storing on the family bed in the corner of the room. I decided to test his level of sleep by dropping a stone from a rock collection I kept in the attic. At this point, I would have inserted some snarky comic about rock collecting and medieval living, but my tongue was not yet firmly placed in my cheek until a later life. I dropped the stone and the old man twitched his nose a little. He was fast asleep. I lowered myself down and dropped the rest of the way. I froze and stared at my dad. His nose twitched again. He turned towards the front of the door only to kick the cauldron that had been left in the middle of the floor. A loud gong reverberated through the room. I turned my head slowly and saw my father. He sat up. His face boiled. He forced himself from the bed, spouting obscenities. I stumbled backward and hit the cauldron again. An idea crossed my mind. I pivoted around the cauldron and rolled it towards the door. I got up enough speed for the giant pot to go on its own. My father bounded towards me. I sped past the pot out the front door. The cauldron hit the threshold with a loud clang. It got wedged in the doorway. My father, who was never known for his wits, was close enough behind to run face first into the thing and knock himself out cold. I turned towards the forest and ran towards the capital. The run through the woods was the most exhilarating moment of my second life. Visions of the princess danced in my head. If I'm being completely honest, she did more than dance. Keep in mind, I was a teenage boy at the time. So I bounded through the woods and eventually made it to the clearing. Up ahead, high on a hill, was the biggest city I'd ever seen. Well, except for Rome. Compared to Rome, the city was a dinky little keep surrounded by a small town. But by second life standards, it was a grand display of power and prosperity. Either way, I was awestruck by the adventure that had awaited. I decided to cut towards the road so I could come with the traffic entering the city. The thoroughfare was packed with merchant wagons, families on pilgrimages, and knights. There was lots and lots of knights. They had entourages of squires, battle-hearted men giving them swordplay advice. They had shiny armor and pointy swords. Some of them even had scars, and not the scars you got from uh, too much acne. They were scars a person got from surviving battles. That's when I realized I was about to enter a tournament for the Heart of Maiden that involved fighting a 
bunch of people who were experts at killing and combat. If I slaughtered chickens, and if those slaughtering chickens counted as killing people, I might have been on their level. But across two lives, I really had lived through the most brutal times in human history, and despite that, I'd never killed anyone. I couldn't hold a sword in my last life, and in this one, I didn't even have one. I was about to turn back when one of the guards said, Boy, you, we have a job for you. I pointed to what must have been a five-year-old riding a cart with his dad. Are you talking about him? Before thinking, hey, what a jerk. Keep in mind two points. First, it was medieval England. Five was working age, at least in my family. Second, in a later life, when I learned about child labor laws, my mind was completely blown. Though I had a suspicion that my father in this life wouldn't be persuaded by such modern ethics. Boy, you come here, now, the guard said. Before I could back away, another guard grabbed me and pulled me over to the rest. They inspected me and turned to one another. Does this look like the whelp to you? The first one asked. The second one shrugged. I don't know. He looks like every other street rat I've seen. I'm a farmer, I protested. Good enough for me, the first guard said and dragged me past the city walls. Inside, the place was bustling. Merchants were trying to sell their goods. They called out the names of their products as I passed. A man on stilts walked through the town dressed as a jester. There were jugglers and fire breathers. People were bursting from the taverns with mugs of ale and singing songs. Near the center of the town was a jousting arena. There was a podium for the king and his entourage in the center of the bleachers off to the sides. People were already filling the sands. Off to either side were jousting tracks. There were lots of temporary tents. Knights practiced with their swords and lances, their horses trotting in the circles. Even the horses had armor. I was screwed. A guard shoved me against the side of the tent and told me to wait there. Before I was able to soil myself and run away, Grimald sauntered from the canvas with an entourage of elite guards. He called out, You there, boy, as much as I tried to talk the princess out of it, she seems to think you'll amount to something. I hate to waste good armor and weapons on a whelp like you. So I won't, he nodded to the guards, and they tossed a bunch of objects at my feet. A rusty sword, a stained chainmail vest, and a lance with a crack down the center. I picked up the armor, and a foul stench overwhelmed my senses. I almost puked and dropped the chainmail. The guards laughed, and Grimald said, We found the body of Tommy Two-Toes in that armor. He must have been dead for weeks. He fell into the latrine. I guess his two-toes couldn't save him, am I right, boys? His guard laughed again, but Grimald shut them up and glared at me. Now wear it. I hesitated for a moment and Grimwalt gripped his sword. I slipped the armor on and everyone laughed as my face scrunched in disgust. He told me to get my things and follow him. I gathered my sword and lance and set out to the city once more. This life I was much dirtier. When I was a head stable boy, I waited around a lot for my master to ride his horse and made all the younger boys do the heavy lifting. Farm life, on the other hand, built muscles because I worked from sunup to sundown. I was able to carry the sword and the lance with ease. 
Of course, carrying them and using them were two different things. I didn't know anything about swords. My father never taught me how to use one, and I didn't need one as a peasant. I was pretty strong from hauling water and threshing wheat, tilling fields, but that only meant I could swing it. From what I could see of my competition, everyone looked as if they were born with a sword in hand. We finally got to the stables of the castle, and the horses were being played with armor for the big day. One sizable white horse was going wild. It was thrashing around and bucking. It broke the nose of the stable boys and knocked the other into the mud. They scrambled to leave the pen before they were trampled. Well, go on, boy, Grimald said. That's your horse. They kicked me into the pen, and I stumbled into the mud. When I picked myself up, I was right in front of the horse on its rear legs, ready to thwack me. That's when I thought of those daydreams I had as a kid. I remembered being a stable boy in Rome. I was confident that the horses always knew how to soothe themselves, and I just needed to tap in that. I stuck out my hand in a non-threatening manner and spoke softly to the horse. It calmed with my help. Instead of pounding me into the dirt, it settled down. I nuzzled my face against its shoulder. I petted the side. There, there, I said. It's not so bad, is it? Had I only had two lives, this would have been my best evidence for reincarnation. I figured if reincarnation was real, then people should know how to do things or just be familiar with stuff for their past lives. I was able to calm the horse not because I was a horse whisperer or something, but because I had years of practice in a past life. I theorized that most people lost all their memories from one life to the next, so they went through life thinking that they had a talent for something, but they found comfort and safety in a culture that wasn't their own, or they just couldn't explain why something was the way it was in their life, and that was the influence of their past life. What may be different, I thought, was whatever wiped a person's memory of their past lives didn't work on me. I wasn't anything special, just a fluke in the reincarnation cycle. It's too bad reincarnation wasn't what was happening to me. It was a nice theory I held on to for a while, but didn't describe my situation. On with the story. There, there, I said to the horse, and it snorted in approval. I calmed the horse down enough to put a rope around its neck, and then I led it to the edge of the pen. The crowd watched me tame the horse and they got really quiet. Even Grimwald didn't have any snide remarks. Turns out it wasn't really me. It was the princess. And she was standing on the sidelines and everyone else was bowing in her presence. She wasn't looking at any of them. She was looking right at me. The princess smiled and said, It takes a gentle soul indeed to untame the savage beast. Take note, Grimwald. There are other tactics you can use besides the sword. I could see Grimwald seething, but it didn't matter. I was in the princess of the princess, and everything had only moments before seemed to be pointing towards my impending gruesome death. They seemed manageable. A bunch of veteran swordsmen? No problem. Weapons that can break at any moment? I had worse. A horse that could buck me off during the child's play. I had a princess on my side. Come here, boy, and let me see you properly. I froze and couldn't think of an excuse. I didn't want to get any closer because of my crappy armor. 
I wanted nothing more than to embrace her like the knights of the stories from old. Instead, I shifted awkwardly. The princess eventually said, Will you at least tell me your name? Oh, Ryan, I managed to sputter out, even though my real name was Terence. I liked Orion, thus became the tradition of calling myself Orion every time somebody asked. I will look for you on the battlefield, Orion. Grimwalt, will you at least get Orion a proper lance? His looks cracked. I wanted to ask her for better armor too, but she was gone before I could even think about speaking a full sentence. Alright, well, I will go ahead and make sure that I get to more Orion as well as Tuners 2 uh, on future episodes. Once again, for June, I might be just giving you a little bit here and there. I might be giving you nothing. Either way, we'll just kind of see how that plays out. Uh, but thank you so much for your support. And uh, if you don't know already, you should go to Real Paranormal Activity with Aaron Hunter on mondays it's a good show where you hear ghost stories uh told by you the listening audience and then of course i'm on tuesdays and then terry's mysterious moments is on wednesdays it gives you some nice historical knowledge about various weird and odd phenomenon and then of course the sandman's alibi with Patrick Sean Jones. And it's an interesting show, you know, about dreams and about how they affect people. And there's a lot of cool artists that come on the show, so you should check it out. It's quite interesting. And that is uh, kind of on Thursdays, but not really. It's a fandom podcast. It comes out whenever it wants to come out. Uh, so, yeah, just be on the lookout for it. All right. Thank you for listening, and if you're ever in a post-apocalyptic situation, just know that you can always barter. Good night.